From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Monday, March 7th, 2022. Coming up this hour. Equities tumble as stock markets from Europe to Asia head for bear markets. Oil soars on the prospect of a U.S. ban on Russian supplies. Gold rallies to top $2,000 an ounce. And more companies join the effort to cut ties with Russia. Former New York Governor Cuomo is hinting at a political comeback. Plus, Vice President Harris marks the bloody Sunday anniversary in Selma. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. Rare win for the Knicks. They beat the Clippers in L.A. The Nets lost in Boston. The Rangers won in Winnipeg. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak on Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 106.1 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. And global stocks are tumbling again to start the week. We are coming up to 501 on Wall Street. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. On Bloomberg. Right now, the S&P futures are down 64 points. Dow futures down 470. And NASDAQ futures down 230 or 1.7%. The 10-year Treasury down 230 seconds. The yield 1.73%. And the yield on the two-year 1.48%. Nathan. Karen, we'll have more on the sell-off in just a minute. But first, the latest developments in the war in Ukraine. Russia says it has agreed to a ceasefire to open up humanitarian corridors in some cities. But Ukraine says Moscow is still shooting near the capital, Kiev, and near the port city of Mariupol, where about 200,000 civilians are trapped. Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, is pleading with the U.S. and Europe for a no-fly zone. If you don't impose a no-fly zone, if you at least don't give us planes so that we can defend ourselves, then there can be only one conclusion. You also want us to be slowly killed. This is the responsibility of world's politicians. Western leaders, today and forever. President Zelensky spoke with U.S. President Joe Biden over the weekend. A third round of talks between Ukraine and Russia is set for today. Meantime, Nathan, the U.S. is planning to send more aircraft to Ukraine. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the U.S. is actively talking with NATO countries about getting help in. That gets a green light. In fact, we're talking uh, with uh, our Polish friends right now about what we might be able to do to backfill uh, their needs if in fact, they choose to provide these fighter jets to to the Ukrainians. So the U.S. would be directly and indirectly helping. This, as he says, the world should expect a long war there. And Russian President Vladimir Putin says that he will not end the invasion until Ukraine agrees to all of his demands. 
In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Ed. Russia finds itself increasingly isolated, but China this morning is declaring its ties with Moscow to be, quote, rock solid, despite President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. China's foreign minister is also accusing the U.S. of trying to build a new version of NATO in the Pacific. Energy markets also in focus this morning, Nathan. Sources say the White House is considering whether to prohibit Russian oil imports to the U.S. It's considering a unilateral move without the participation of allies in Europe, at least initially. Secretary of State Antony Blinken discussed the plans on CNN. We are now talking uh, to our European partners and allies to look uh, in a coordinated way uh, at the uh, prospect of banning the import of Russian oil uh, while making sure that there is uh, still an appropriate supply of oil on, on world markets. That's a very active discussion as we speak. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken meets with his Israeli counterpart today to discuss the situation in Ukraine, among other matters. Well, following those comments, Karen, we saw oil soar to just shy of $140 a barrel. Right now, Brent crude's at $125.26 a barrel, while West Texas Intermediate's at $122.89. Other commodities are also rallying this morning. Gold futures jumped above $2,000 an ounce for the first time in more than 18 months, while copper and palladium hit all-time highs. Nickel spiked as much as 30 31%, while wheat slammed the daily upward limit for the sixth day in a row. While commodities are surging, Nathan's stocks are selling off around the world. We're seeing some of the biggest drops in Europe, and we head to London and get the very latest live with Bloomberg's Ewan Potts. Good morning, Ewan. Good morning, Karen Nathan. Major stock markets from Europe to Asia heading for bear markets today, falling more than 20% from their highs. That's amid fears of an inflation shock and perhaps a growth shock in the world economy as crude soars on the prospect of a ban on Russian supplies. Banks, carmakers and retailers leading losses today. Defence companies gaining energy and mining stocks, the only sectors in the green today around Europe. Live in London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Ewan, thank you. We also saw heavy selling in Asia overnight. Let's get the recap from Bloomberg's Juliet Sally in Singapore. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Nathan and Karen. The MSCI Asia-Pacific Index was on course for a bear market, a drop of more than 20% from its February 2021 peak. Japan's Nikkei 225 Index had its worst session in a year, falling to November 2020 levels. Hong Kong stocks falling to July 2016 lows. China's CSI 300 entered further into bear market territory, falling for the fourth straight session. This despite a policy statement from the National People's Congress over the weekend, which failed to offer meaningful support for the market. In Singapore, Juliet Sali, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Juliet, thank you. As stocks sell off, more analysts are downgrading their outlook for U.S. equities. We get the latest forecast live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. Yardini Research predicts the S&P 500 will drop another 8% to about 4,000 by the end of this year. Chief investment strategist Ed Yardini says a recession cannot be ruled out given that jump in oil prices. Evercore ISI says the S&P could fall as low as 3,700. Chief equity strategist Julian Emanuel says a drop of about 15 percent from Friday's close could trigger action from the Federal Reserve to help stabilize markets. Before the war, the median S&P target for strategists was around 5,000. Now it's about 4,300. 
Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Renita. As the war in Ukraine intensifies, the list of companies cutting ties with Russia is growing. Let's get the latest on that from Bloomberg's Lisa Mateo. Netflix, TikTok, Samsung, and credit card operators are the latest to either cut ties or review their operations in Russia. Netflix, which has been available in Russia since 2016, has under 1 million customers in the country. Over the weekend, Visa and MasterCard also said they were suspending operations in Russia. Each gets about 4% of its net revenue from business linked to Russia. And yesterday, American Express said it was suspending its operations in Russia and Belarus. Lisa Mateo, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Lisa, thanks. Right now, S&P futures are down 67 points, a drop of one and a half percent. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. 507 on Wall Street, 63 degrees in Central Park. We got a crash on northbound Route 9 near New Brunswick Avenue and Woodbridge. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo appeared to be hinting at a political comeback in remarks at a Brooklyn church on Sunday. The Democrats said he acknowledged his behavior wasn't appropriate, but he decried the political sharks in Albany who used the accusations to, in his words, effectively overturn an election. Probably no. I've gone through a difficult period the past few months. I resigned as governor. The press roasted me. My colleagues were ridiculed. My brother was fired. It was ugly. It was probably the toughest time of my life. Cuomo resigned in August, days after an independent probe concluded he sexually harassed 11 women something he denies. It's the next chapter for New York City about the COVID pandemic. Starting today, the city is dropping several mandates, including masks in schools and vaccination requirements for businesses. Also today, restaurants will no longer ask for proof of vaccination before entering. Meanwhile, COVID-19 deaths are about to hit the 6 million mark in the world. It's another tragic reminder about the deadliness of the pandemic. Even as masks are dropping and businesses are reopening around the globe, the U.S. is nearing one million deaths alone. Vice President Kamala Harris was in Selma, Alabama, to mark the anniversary of a defining moment in the fight for equal voting rights. On March 7, 1965, white state troopers beat and tear-gassed black voting rights marchers attempting to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Harris vowed to push for federal legislation that guarantees voting rights. Across the country... States passed anti-voting laws, laws that ban drop boxes and restrict early voting. Vice President Harris says the bravery of those 57 years ago is a reminder that freedom and democracy can never be taken for granted. Seven people are dead after tornadoes swept through central Iowa. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds talked about the hundreds of volunteers who showed up to help. We show up, we take care of our family, we take care of our neighbors, and we take care of our community. Governor Reynolds says the deadly tornado had winds of up to 165 miles an hour. Global news, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Tank. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries, I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Michael. 509 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stanshower. Good morning, Nathan. Knicks in L.A. They jumped in front in the second quarter, outscoring the Clippers 34-18. to Forgive Nick fans if they weren't celebrating yet. During this stretch of seven straight losses, 16 in their last 19, the Knicks 
had sizable leads seemingly every game. They kept blowing the leads. This time, they didn't. They beat the Clippers 116-93. R.J. Barrett scored 24 points. Emmanuel quickly 21. The coach, Tom Thibodeau. From the All-Star break on, we played well in the Miami game. We played well in both Philadelphia games. We played well. We don't have anything to show for it. That's the unfortunate part. We didn't close it out. Right, and tonight we we played well from start to finish, and so hopefully we can build on it. They played tonight in Sacramento, chance for their first two-game winning streak in almost two months. As for the Nets, couldn't stop Jason Tatum in Boston. He poured in 54 points, 34 in the second half. Red Hot Celtics won 126 to 120. They've won 14 of their last 16. The Nets have lost 17 of their last 20. They're now under 500. Kevin Durant led Brooklyn with 37. He went over 25,000 career points, 23rd in NBA history to do that. Solid win for the Rangers. Pair of goals in the first period, two more in the third. They won 4-1 at Winnipeg. Two goals for Chris Kreider, numbers 37 and 38. Baseball players made a concession in an effort to end the lockout, giving their blessing to rule changes like a pitch clock and a reduction of shifting, but the economic issues remain. In fact, MLB says the two sides are now further apart. Another week's worth of regular season games may soon get canceled. John Stash Howard, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Thanks, John. S&P futures now down 65 points. Dow futures down 474. NASDAQ futures lower by 227 points. Following European stocks lower, the DAX in Germany is down 3.4%. CAC in Paris down 3%. Get the latest on this market with Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. She joins us next. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, increasing clouds today, showers and thunderstorms possible, the high near 70 degrees. It'll be mostly sunny, breezy, and cooler tomorrow, upper 40s, mid-40s, mostly cloudy by Wednesday. Currently 63 in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Major stock markets from Europe to Asia heading for bear markets, falling more than 20 percent from highs amid fears of an inflation shock as crude oil soars on the prospect of a ban on Russian supplies. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. On Bloomberg, S&P futures down 63 points this morning. Dow futures down 473 and Nasdaq futures down 217 or down about 1.6 percent. The DAX in Germany is down three and a quarter percent. Ten-year Treasury down one thirty-second, yield 1.73 percent. The yield on the two-year 1.48 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 5.9 percent, up six dollars eighty-seven cents at one hundred twenty-two dollars fifty-five cents a barrel. COMEX gold is up one point nine percent, or thirty-six dollars fifty cents at two thousand three dollars thirty cents an ounce. The euro one point zero eight three three against the dollar. British pound one point three one. Six eight. The ends at one fifteen point oh nine. Bitcoin this morning moving lower, down two percent. It's at thirty eight thousand two hundred forty dollars. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. President Vladimir Putin said again the war will continue until Ukraine accepts his demands and halts resistance, dimming hopes for a negotiated settlement. 
Meanwhile, a representative for Kyiv has urged the United Nations top court to order Russia to hold its devastating invasion of Ukraine. In the NBA, the Knicks won, the Celtics beat the Nets 126-120, the Wizards won. In the NHL, the Devils beat the Blues in overtime 3-2, the Rangers won. Major League Baseball reacted angrily to the latest offer by locked-out players when bargaining resumed Sunday. Management accused the union of backtracking and showing no sign of a breakthrough to get the derailed season back on track. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Bard. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Michael. Thanks. It's 519 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. And Lori Calvacina is with us now, head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets at the start of what's looking to be a very difficult day for equity investors. Lori, good morning. Are we looking at a bear market here? Uh, well, thanks for having me. Well, look, we're we're certainly looking at a very difficult stretch in the equity market, and you know, I think at, at our worst, we've been down about 12% from peak, and we've said that we this episode to us feels like a growth scare, and growth scares tend to take stocks 14 to 20% down from their peak. So I don't know if you want to call that a bear market or something worse, um, but it, it is, you know, it, it does look to me like that's the kind of period we're in. So we don't think that we've, you know, in the very short term at least, uh, seen an end to the downside. In the past, you've uh, said that you're targeting 50-50, 5,050 for the S&P at the end of this year. Are you sticking with that? So we've stuck with it for now, and we put out a piece on Friday basically saying we're going to continue to be nimble in our forecast. And the way I put it with this was was this way, that at this point in time, we can still see a path. Now, that would assume that we get some resolution um, in the intermediate term of this crisis and do get those lows that I mentioned in the market, uh, those kind of growth scare pricing. We basically assumed that we see a 17% type drop uh, from the peak that we saw earlier this year, which is your average growth scare type decline. And we did do, take a quick look, you know, just to see how quickly and how powerfully markets recover in those growth scares once they make those decline. And we did see that this, the recoveries tend to be pretty swift and powerful. You tend get, to get back to pre-crisis highs in the market within four to five months of making a bottom um, and tend to see about 27% type gains on a 10-month forward basis. So, you know, we do see a path. Now, that's very different, right, from saying that I'm pounding the table in the market, and I really resist that term. Um, but the other thing we have talked about is that if you look at sentiment gauges like the AAII Net Bull Bear Survey, um, they have basically been below pandemic lows recently, um, and they do tend to give you a very strong buy signal on the market on a 12-month forward basis. So, you know, I would Emphasize the tone. We can see a path. We're not pounding the table here, though, necessarily. And again, we do see some potential for interim downside that can be worse than what we've already seen just based on that growth scare analysis. Is there any way to game out how long that interim downside lasts? I mean, it's got to all depend on how the war goes, doesn't it? I think that's right. And I think the problem with the war, I mean, there are many, many problems with the war in the stock market. I would put, you know, sort of at the bottom of that, um, of that list of priorities here. Um, but look, I think the problem is that it is an inherently unpredictable situation. And I do think that if you look at pricing in the S&P 500, it does look like it is trying to stabilize. Um, now, of course, you know, the futures are down pretty big this morning, but the market, I think, sort of that, that sideways move we've seen in recent weeks is reflecting sort of the inherent uncertainty um, that's associated with this crisis right now. So when you talk about a growth shock, at least in the interim, is is that pointing to stagflation? Is that something you're thinking about in your forecast? 
So I don't love the term stagflation. I mean, to me, the most important part is is really just the, the ratcheting down of, of economic growth expectations. And, you know, we, we've assumed essentially at this point in time that we'll, we'll see some erosion in economic forecasts. Um, but not necessarily pulling us into a recession. That's something we've consulted very closely with our economists on, um, and that's his view at the moment. But, you know, if you look at sort of the high-frequency indicators, and I think we're somewhat lucky we've come out of this COVID period. People like me have a whole arsenal of high-frequency economic barometers to look at. Um, what we are seeing for the time being, at least, is that we are continuing to come out of COVID, we're continuing to see a recovery in dining and flying despite the challenges that emerge. We need to see if the consumer does hold up. Um, but for now, we're not seeing reasons to panic in the data. In our last minute here, Lori, where do you look for havens? Are there stock havens for you? So I think it's very difficult when you think about defensive sectors to play the safe haven game. Consumer staples is an area that people have been trying to go to. And and frankly, it's one of the worst possible areas you could be at. If you look at the intersections of risks uh, from this crisis in particular, things like food prices, sentiment, European economic exposure, energy and non-commodity and non-energy commodity prices all intersect there. Um, the dollar has been the safe haven. The U.S. equity market, frankly, has been the safe haven outperforming rest of the world. And that does give us a little bit of a buffer. As always, good to have your thoughts. Thanks for this, Lori. Really appreciate it. Lori Calvacina is head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. And as we look at U.S. equities this morning, they are pointing to a much lower open with S&P futures now down 60 points or 1.4 percent. Dow futures are down 454 points and NASDAQ futures leading the declines right now. They're down 214 points. That's a drop of about one and a half percent. Germany's DAX down three percent. The CAC in Paris down two and two thirds percent right now. The 10-year Treasury is down 330 seconds, yield 1.74 percent. The yield on the two-year right now, 1.49. Oil surging once again this morning. We have Brent crude up 6.2% or $7.33, $125.41 a barrel. West Texas Intermediates at $122.71. Stay with us for the very latest on the war in Ukraine. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, increasing clouds, showers, and thunderstorms today with a high near 70 degrees. It'll be mostly sunny, breezy, and cooler tomorrow, upper 40s for highs, mid-40s by Wednesday. Right now, 62 in Central Park. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130 to Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco. Bloomberg 960 to the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. We're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour, starting with the latest developments on the war in Ukraine. Russia says it's agreed to a ceasefire to open up humanitarian corridors in some cities. But Ukraine says Moscow is still shooting near the capital, Kiev, and near the port city of Mariupol, where about 200,000 civilians are trapped. The mayor of Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko, says Ukraine needs more support. We need unity. We need pressure. We need sanctions. We need uh, weapons support. 
The mayor of Kiev was a guest on ABC's This Week, heard Sundays on Bloomberg Radio. In the meantime, Karen, global stocks are selling off. Oil is soaring on the prospect of a ban on Russian supplies. Bloomberg News has learned the White House is considering whether to prohibit Russian oil imports into the U.S. without the participation of allies in Europe. Here's California Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff. I think there's very strong bipartisan support to cut off uh, Russian oil and gas sales to the United States. Uh, it's anathema, I think, to many of us in Congress that while we were sanctioning them and trying to cripple their economy, that we would help them in any way by purchasing uh, their petroleum. Uh, but I think the administration wants to make sure that we uh, work with our allies. Congressman Adam Schiff made those comments on Face the Nation from CBS, heard Sundays on Bloomberg Radio. As for the reaction in the oil market, it originally jumped as much as 18% on the prospect of a ban on Russian crude. Right now, NYMEX crude oil is up more than 6.5%. So is Brent, by the way. Gold futures jumped above $2,000 an ounce for the first time in more than 18 months, while copper and palladium hit all-time highs. Well, as stocks sell off around the world, Karen, more analysts are downgrading their outlooks for U.S. equities. Let's get the details live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Nathan. Yardani Research predicts the S&P 5 will drop to about 4,000 by the end of this year. Chief investment strategist Ed Yardani says a recession cannot be ruled out given that jump in oil prices. Evercore ISI says the S&P could fall as low as 3,700. Before the war, the median S&P target for strategists was around 5,000. Now it's at about 4,300. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right. Thank you, Renita. And the corporate exodus from Russia continues today. Netflix, TikTok, Samsung, Visa, MasterCard and American Express are the latest companies to either cut ties or review their operations in the country. Again, futures are falling this morning and straight ahead. Your latest local headlines plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. 533 on Wall Street, 62 degrees in Central Park. We now have an accident investigation in Woodbridge. It's in northbound Route 9 at New Brunswick Avenue. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Michael. Nathan, thank you very much. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo making a campaign-style speech at a Brooklyn church. He hinted at a possible political comeback. Cuomo resigned in August after an independent investigation found he sexually harassed nearly a dozen women. Today, he attributed some of his behavior to, quote, perspectives that changed, but made the point that none of the cases were substantial enough to be prosecuted. The actions against me were prosecutorial misconduct. That is clear. They didn't act in the interest of justice. The district attorneys proved that. They acted in their own self-interest. They wanted me out because they wanted my job. Cuomo called it the worst time of his life. Vice President Kamala Harris visited Selma, Alabama yesterday to commemorate a defining moment in the fight for equal voting rights. Harris linked arms with activists from the civil rights movement and led thousands across the Edmund Pettus Bridge where, on March 7, 1965, white state troopers attacked black voting rights marchers attempting to cross. Their bravery is a reminder that freedom and democracy can never be taken for granted. Vice President Harris also called for lawmakers today to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. The world is about to hit a grim milestone. We're approaching 6 million deaths because of COVID. The U.S. has about a million deaths alone. Florida state officials say all available resources, including National Guard helicopters, have been brought in to fight two large wildfires in Florida's panhandle. Governor Ron DeSantis 
we are working with uh, really all hands on deck uh, to be able to mitigate this. And it's a really, really significant, uh, certainly multiple fires, a major fire, you know, out there that, that we were able to see. According to Governor DeSantis, the Florida Forest Service says two fires in Bay County are the biggest of nearly 150 wildfires in the state that are burning more than 12,000 acres. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Michael. 535 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stanshower. Thanks, Nathan. Nothing unusual about the Knicks grabbing a big lead. What was different last night in L.A., they held on to it. The Knicks last month lost three games when they were ahead by more than 20 points, and they blew a 14-point lead Friday in Phoenix. The Suns won on that banked-in three-pointer at the buzzer. That was the Knicks' seventh loss in a row. But in L.A., next Knicks beat the Clippers 116-93. to R.J. Barrett scored 24 points. Great, because, you know, we've been playing extremely well you know, overall. Definitely, there was a couple of games that we should have won, especially last game. You know, that one hurt. So, to come in here today and play like that from start to finish was amazing. The bench played well. Emmanuel kick quickly scored 21. Cam Reddish had his best game as a Nick with 17. Knicks play again tonight in Sacramento. Julius Randle got thrown out of that game in Phoenix. He shoved a player, and he made contact with the ref. Randle was fined $50,000. In Boston, it was Kevin Durant versus Jason Tatum. KD scored 37 points, but Tatum went for 54. 34 in the second half. Celtics beat the Nets 126-120. to Boston's now won 14 of the last 16. While Brooklyn has dropped 17 in the last 20, and the Nets are now under 500. Rangers won 4-1 at Winnipeg. Two more goals for Chris Kreider. Now has 38. He's tied for second in the NHL. Devils a 3-2 overtime win over St. Louis. Dougie Hamilton had the game winner. College Oaks a scare for Rutgers, but they held on to top Penn State 59-58. Much needed win for the Scarlet Knights if they are to gain entry to the upcoming NCAA tournament. Scotty Scheffler, who won the golf in Phoenix last month, won again at Bay Hill by two shots. John Stashower, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Thanks, John. It's 537 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report. Here's Bloomberg's Ed Corey. Development has begun on what could become New York City's first community to reach net zero carbon emissions. The roughly $1 billion project on the Rockaway Peninsula in Queens could be a proving ground for new climate and economic policies. It'll incorporate geothermal heating, passive house design, and a plan to raise the storm surge elevation. Danny Meyer's 60th floor restaurant, which closed at the start of the pandemic, returns on St. Patty's Day. Manhattan, the sky-high restaurant that the restaurateur closed at the beginning of the pandemic, will reopen on March 17th. But the Times reports the space at 28 Liberty Street will initially serve only drinks and bar food. According to AAA, gas prices in New Jersey hit $4.09 a gallon over the weekend. That broke the record of $3.99 set on July 8, 2008. The price is $1.22 higher than a year ago. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thanks, Ed. 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. 
I'm Steve Potus, and on KNX in Los Angeles, we're talking about Netflix shutting down operations in Russia. I'm Gina Cervetti, and for WBBM in Chicago, I'm talking about a report saying that the owners of the Cubs are weighing an offer to buy Chelsea Football Club. I'm Courtney Donahoe on KTRH in Houston. Toshiba's concerned the chip prices may get worse after the invasion of Ukraine. I'm Caroline Hepke on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We're reporting on a proposal by MPs that could be voted on today to freeze Russian oligarchs' assets to stop them liquidating wealth. I'm Ed Corey on WTAM in Cleveland. I'm reporting investors are snapping up a growing share of homes in Cuyahoga County. Those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following commentary is from Bloomberg Opinion. Want to reduce dependence on Russian energy? Get a heat pump. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. Heat pumps are far more energy efficient than other heaters, but currently warm just 6% of residential buildings in Europe and 11.5% of housing units in the U.S. In the U.S., they are widely seen as inappropriate for colder climates, but newer models work well at temperatures below zero. In Europe, their market share is highest in Finland, Norway, and Sweden, where it gets pretty cold in the winter, but they've only just begun to break through in Germany and the U.K., Efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions have already led to policies encouraging heat pump adoption in many countries, including modest subsidies in the U.S. With the West now trying to reduce its energy dependence on Russia, a bigger push seems to be in order. I'm Justin Fox. For more opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPIN Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. Listen for Bloomberg Opinion commentaries every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go. S&P futures now down 69 points. Dow futures lower by 528. NASDAQ futures down 235 points. The 10-year Treasury little changed at 1.72%. NYMEX crude up 6.3%, up $7.31, $122.94 a barrel. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg 11.30 weather, increasing clouds, showers and thunderstorms, breezy with a high near 70 today. Upper 40s, mostly sunny and breezy tomorrow. Mostly cloudy mid-40s by Wednesday, currently 62 in Central Park. Markets, headlines and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Major stock markets from Europe to Asia heading for bear markets, falling more than 20% from highs amid fears of an inflation shock as crude oil soars on the prospect of a ban on Russian supplies. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 64 points. Dow futures down 482. NASDAQ futures down 221. The DAX in Germany is down 3.5%. The 10-year Treasury up 132nd, yield 1.72%. Yield on the two year 1.47%. NYMEX crude oil is up more than 6%, up $7.27 at $122.92 a barrel. COMEX gold is up 2%, or $38.80 at $2,005.40 an ounce. The euro, 1.0826 against the dollar, and Bitcoin this morning at $38,175. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. 
Aaron, thank you very much. Even as Russia announced a ceasefire starting this morning and the opening of humanitarian corridors in several areas, its armed forces continued to pummel Ukrainian cities. Rockets hit residential buildings. A large group of truck drivers who object to COVID-19 mandates drove two loops around the beltway surrounding Washington yesterday. They deliberately moved slowly to impact traffic and make their feelings known to lawmakers. In the NBA, the Knicks won. The Celtics beat the Nets 126-120. The Wizards won. In the NHL, the Devils beat the Blues in overtime 3-2. The Rangers won. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Bard. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Michael. Thanks for coming up to 549 on Wall Street Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak, and Bloomberg's executive editor for international government, Rosalind Matheson, is back with us this morning as we continue following the latest developments on the war in Ukraine. Rosalind, we did get those reports of an agreement on a ceasefire between uh, Russian and Ukrainian forces, but it sounds as though those commitments aren't being met. Well, that's right. And this is the third day in a row that we've seen efforts to create some sort of humanitarian corridor to allow a safe passage of people out of different parts of Ukraine in the south, mostly uh, in the past few days. Those collapsed on themselves within a matter of hours uh, with recriminations on both sides, Ukrainian forces accusing Russia um, of breaching the ceasefire and shelling people trying to leave. Today, we saw an effort to set up slightly different corridors, including in the capital, Kiev, Russia, saying that it was going to allow safe passage of people, but they would have to go through Belarus into Russia and out from there. That seems to be aimed more at foreigners, uh, people who are stuck there from China and India and so on, rather than Ukrainian nationals, who, of course, would not agree to go through that route. Uh, So that seems to have also fallen apart very quickly. And that just means that it just highlights again how hard it is for people to move about and how to get out of Ukraine at the moment. So what's being done in the meantime to further support Ukraine? There had been talk of sending in more European fighter jets. Is that moving forward? Uh, The Ukrainians have asked for fighter jets to come in from countries in Eastern Europe. But, of course, Eastern European countries are very nervous about doing that. For one thing, most of them have fairly small air forces themselves. The planes they've got are quite old, not necessarily in good condition. If they send those in, uh, what have they got left at home to defend themselves? And are they, by doing that, really inserting themselves into the conflict in the eyes of Russia and risking retaliation. Uh, So it's very complicated and not something that would happen easily. The U.S. has suggested it could potentially resupply these nations with fighter jets, but normally that process in itself takes years to go through the processes in the U.S. Uh, So there's no sign any of that's going to happen immediately. What came out of diplomatic efforts over the weekend? We'd heard reports that Israel's Prime Minister Bennett was meeting with the President of Russia, Vladimir Putin. Did anything come out of that? Not very much detail came out of it, at least publicly, but what we can glean from these various conversations that happened on the weekend, including also the French president spoke again with Vladimir Putin, uh, mostly around efforts to secure passage of people to get the humanitarian effort uh, further underway on the ground to allow uh, people to leave safely uh, as that crisis builds inside Ukraine. So the conversations seem to be mostly about that. But as we've seen, every time there's been an effort to build a corridor, it's fallen apart within a matter of hours. 
Of course, the talk about the U.S. potentially going it alone on a ban on Russian oil has obviously roiled the market this morning. What kind of impact could that have on Russia's war machine were the U.S. to unilaterally stop buying Russian oil? Well, the interesting thing, of course, is the U.S. doesn't buy very much oil from Russia. It's about 3%, I believe, of, of U.S. imports, although I think it might be around 14% of Russia's exports. So the, the impact on Russia may not be that significant. Uh, more to the point, the, the soaring price of oil, which is just shy of $140 a barrel, uh, brings more money into Russia, in a way, into its coffers. It might, so it might cushion the impact. The real question here is the dilemma for Europe, which is much more reliant on Russian energy and imports a lot of oil and a lot of natural gas and has been very reticent to cut that off and do those conversations now escalate in Europe to try and take some sort of action here as well because, of course, the impact there would be much more significant both for Russia potentially but also for Europe on that. In our last minute here, are we seeing any sign that the sanctions that have been imposed so far are having any effect on the ground in terms of Russia's ability to continue this offensive? certainly doesn't seem to be deterring the Russian president at all. He's been saying repeatedly across the weekend that he intends to continue in Ukraine until his goals there are met, which seem to be complete demilitarization of Ukraine and the removal of the government. The impact on the sanctions, if anything, is probably being felt by ordinary Russians to this point. Uh, Difficulty accessing funds with their banks, using their credit cards, companies pulling out and so on. So if anything, the impact is just... For the consumer in Russia, less than the upper echelons of power, um, and it's so far not really translating into any sort of sign that the government there intends to change course on the war itself. Thanks, as always, Roz. We'll be checking checking in with you uh, periodically throughout this war. Rosalind Matheson is our executive editor for international government for Bloomberg News. Karen. All right, Nathan, it is 5.54 on Wall Street. It's time for our Bloomberg Law Report, brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 90 years. More at ADR.org. Our legal story we're watching brings us to intellectual property law in the entertainment industry. The Apple TV series Servant is being served a lawsuit. Francesca Gregorini claims the TV series rips off her 2013 movie titled The Truth About Emmanuel. The Ninth Circuit Court is reviving the lawsuit after a district court had dismissed it. For more on the case, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks to intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Cadden Rosenman. The judge said the alleged similarities pale in comparison to the differences. So here's the core problem with the district court judge's decision, in my opinion. It's this focus on differences between the two works. That's not the legal standard. The Ninth Circuit and other courts have said we focus on what are the similarities and not what are the differences. This is not a balancing test where you put on one side the similarities and on the other side the differences. You say, ah, there are more differences than similarities, therefore we're going to dismiss the lawsuit. No, that's not the way it's done. The way it's supposed to be done is you focus just on the similarities and ask yourself, are there sufficient similarities that a reasonable juror might find copyright infringement? 
That's not well spelled out in the Ninth Circuit's decision reversing the district court judge, but it is the one thing that jumped off the page at me in the district court judge's decision and was probably working on the minds of the appellate court judges, even though they didn't expressly articulate it that way. Tell us more about the Ninth Circuit's reasons for unanimously telling the judge, you can't dismiss this lawsuit at this stage. So the decision on appeal largely focused on uh, procedural elements, and these procedural elements have been a bugaboo in the Ninth Circuit in copyright cases for over a decade now. What is that issue is substantial similarity, and for substantial similarity, we apply a two-part test known as the extrinsic test and the intrinsic test. But on a motion to dismiss, all we consider is the extrinsic test. And the extrinsic test asks whether there are similarities. Remember, similarities, not differences. Where there are similarities between plot, themes, dialogue, mood, setting, characters, and sequence of events that are considered protectable elements under copyright law. So the general idea of a grieving mother is not protectable under copyright law. The idea of a doll being given humanistic features, being treated like a human, is not copyrightable. The fact that you focused on inducing a boyfriend to go steal a bottle of wine, that may well be copyrightable. What did not happen here at the district court level was the judge never attempted to separate the wheat from the chaff to figure out what were the copyrightable elements and what were the non-copyrightable elements, and then say, well, these copyrightable elements do have some similarities such that a reasonable juror might believe there was copyright infringement. That's what the district court did not do, in which the Ninth Circuit really wants to be done on a motion to dismiss. And that's Terrence Ross, a partner at Ken and Mugen Rosenman, speaking with Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview, plus analysis of the latest legal news by listening to the Bloomberg Law Show at 10 p.m. Eastern Time or subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com. And again, futures are falling this morning. Still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And this is Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple like as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Plus.